As Bob says, the reading is from Genesis 5, and it's on the few slips, so you can follow along with me. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray with those words open before us. And we know that um, your word is truth. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would sanctify us by the truth this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder on that reading. Well done, Tim, with the names. Uh, now we've got the authorized pronunciation that I've got to adhere to. Um, there we go. I wonder, having heard that reading and those names, uh, who you would consider to be the hero of Genesis chapter 5? Obviously, it's a fairly big cast, um, but 
who is it you think that takes the Oscars there? I mean, I suppose nominees would include Adam, since he was the founding father of humanity and spans eight generations. I think if you worked it out, you might go for Enoch, um, because the whole pattern gets interrupted with him, doesn't it? Like everyone, we get details of his age and his children, but unlike others, he's singled out for walking with God. Uh, Maybe you think Methuselah. He's in the Guinness Book of Records as the oldest. Or Noah for what's going to emerge later on, surviving the flood. Now, in fact, it is none of them, uh, you'll hate me for saying this, but God is the hero of the chapter, as he is of all the Bible's stories. And I suppose it might suit us to take the focus from him because we sort of prefer not to have him involved in human history or indeed in our lives, if we're honest. It's more convenient for us to construct our own Legoland reality using only the building blocks we prefer to construct our imaginary world without God. But Genesis 5 is a clarion call to acknowledge that the eternal God stands outside time, but he is active within time and therefore involved with humanity and indeed with us. We can't ignore him. So what do we learn about him here? Well, I've got two main points and then a a sort of a conclusion. First, he is the God who outlives humans. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 revise the account of creation from earlier in the Bible. (laughs) There wasn't much chance for that to happen, but earlier in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, and remind us straight away that God predates humanity. He's our creator. Let me read him again. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. Which, as I said, is a shorthand reminder of the origin of man and woman. Together, God's image bearers. Together, blessed by God, together instructed to fill the earth, which, of course, is exactly what has happened repeatedly in the course of Genesis chapter 5. Lots of earth filling going on. Let me read verses 3 and 4. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. And the pattern gets repeated for each generation, um, substituting letters. When A had lived X years, he became the father of B. And after B was born, A lived a further Y years and had other children. And then each generation, except for one, remember, it's the same. But that is all evidence of God the Creator blessing and giving life. Except, of course, hand in hand with God's creative work is the repeated idea of God's judgment. You get the hint, actually, in verse 3, which I've read, when Adam has a son in his own likeness. Because since that tragic rebellion in Genesis chapter 3, Adam's posterity are, like him, by nature rebels. God's sentence had come to Adam, you will surely die. And therefore, the drumbeat of mortality sounds again and again and again in this chapter. 
some examples. Verse 5, altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. Verse 8, altogether Seth lived a total of 912 years and then he died. Verse 11, altogether Enosh lived a total of 905 years and then he died. I don't really need to go on. It's a bit like the deaths column in the newspaper, except in respect of their age, of course. We reckon 100 years is an exceptional innings today, don't we? There was a poor curate who got handed a bit of paper just at the services start one day. It said, please pray for Mrs. Hargreaves, who is 111 today. So when it came to the prayers... He launched into fulsome praise to God for the wonderful news. 111 years old, what a, what a life. And he discovered that actually he'd misread the note, which said, pray for Mrs. Hargreaves, who is ill today. But the characters in Genesis chapter 5, well, you had to be a lot more than 100 to get a telegram out of Adam, didn't you? Routinely, they made it to 800. Now, naturally, these accounts have provided rich pickings for anybody who wants to quibble with the Bible's chronology. There was a point in the 17th century when Archbishop Usher did his sums with the Bible open in front of him, and he calculated that sort of working back from Jesus, creation happened at 4004 BC. And when he said that, the skeptics had a field there. They loved it. And then in the 19th century, Bishop Lightfoot was even more precise and gave a date and a time. In case you're wondering, it was 23rd of October at 9 a.m. And obviously the skeptics, their joy was complete at that point. And you can see why. These genealogies, the problem they pose is something like this, isn't it? The individual lifespans seem far too long for a start. And then that's one problem. On top of that, the combined total of the lifespans seems far too short. Now, I don't have watertight answers to the objections. Um, There are one or two things it's worth saying. It isn't only in the Bible that we find ancient genealogies. And it does seem that it was an accepted convention in family trees sometimes to leave out some generations without mentioning them specifically. That's just how they recorded them. That wasn't an attempt to falsify accounts particularly. So I don't know what conclusion you draw from that, but we can't come to these accounts as we uh, encounter them in the Bible with the same ideas of chronology that we might have, for example, when we learn the dates of the kings and queens of England. That doesn't settle the matter of their long lives. And people have tried various ways of synthesizing things. Some people have tried saying the writer is using the word year to mean a shorter period than our calendar years. Well, I don't know that you get any hints of that from Genesis, so I'm not sure that that persuades me. Others say, oh, the ages are symbolic. And that, to me, sounds like a dodge as well, to be honest seems to me the reverent way to read these verses is to take a gulp and to take them at face value. And when you do that with something difficult in the Bible, 
The challenge is to suspend judgment about what the Bible says rather than laughing it out of court. I don't know, maybe at some point we'll discover something about family trees in the ancient world which will clarify them. But I haven't got a knockdown answer. I'm not going to pretend I have. I think this is one of those things that we may have to just take on board, uh, not allow it to rob us of assurance and confidence and say we don't know everything. There are unanswered questions. What is certain is that Genesis is even more interested in theology than chronology. And the impressive lifespans, in fact, make the point more starkly. Methuselah may have lived 969 years, but God gave him life and God took it away. He existed before that long life began and he continued to exist long after it was over. In fact, he predates all human life, all those countless years in Genesis 5 added together. And he's the one who brings human history to a close as well. There was that bit of graffiti written on a wall once. God is dead, someone had scrawled. Signed, Nietzsche. And underneath, somebody had added, Nietzsche is dead. Signed, God. The point being, we've got ideas way above our station. We just have to be humble and say there was a time when we didn't exist and only God could have brought us into being and our physical life won't go on uninterrupted forever. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, says Scripture. And when God brings that to pass, you and I don't know. It could be today. It could be now. So... Are you ready to meet him? We might avoid him successfully in this life, but we will all meet him when we die because he is the God who outlives humans. Secondly, he is the God who befriends humans. The offer is there to meet him in this life before we die. And I take it that's what we're to learn from Enoch. Let me read verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. So in the dark and dismal record, of mankind's mortality, Enoch shines out like a single brilliant star. Here was someone, we read twice, who walked with God. And that's probably a throwback to that picture of life in Eden, when God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, an afternoon stroll with Adam. Only after the man's disobedience in chapter 3, and the brutality and murder of chapter 4, we're left wondering, will God and humans ever be friends like that again? And Enoch tells us, yes, there can be an intimate, ongoing, personal relationship between human beings and God. Seems to have been a relationship which had a definite starting point. Verse 22 tells us that 
After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. I wonder if it was that birth that triggered his spiritual awareness. Sometimes happens that way. Maybe that was it. But it's worth saying that no one ever drifts into a relationship with God by accident. Maybe somebody here is hoping one day you'll just wake up a Christian when you ought to be making a definite start. Enoch started, it seems. Once started, it was a relationship which continued. Enoch walked with God faithfully. He didn't sprint. It was a steady, unremitting plod. Of 300 years, he persevered day by day in friendship with God. And then one day, faith in a God he hadn't seen gave way to sight. The New Testament tells us that Enoch didn't die like all his contemporaries. God removed him from this world and took him beyond it into his immediate presence. He was no more because God took him away, which is just a little window into eternity for us. But isn't it amazing that the God who lives outside time and space should seek out friendship with us, finite fallible and fallen creatures like you and me. It's amazing, but he does, both in this life and wonderfully beyond this life. Billy Graham was once asked, how do you know God exists? Quick as a flash, he replied, I was talking to him this morning. And I wonder how many of us could echo that testimony. I hope many of us. There are no rules about how you have a a daily quiet time, but the chances are that if I don't start the day with God, I'm unlikely to walk with him through the day. It's a helpful tip that somebody gave me. It's a good suggestion. However long we spend reading scripture, it can be a short time. However long we spend reading scripture to condense what we think about into one memorable idea or a best thought, which we can then come back to throughout the day. And that way it means you keep the word of God in portable format so that we can call it to mind and pray it through later, so that we can talk as we walk with our God. Not as a law or as a chore, but as a wonderful privilege I mean, you think of it, in a world where friendships are soon formed and soon forgotten, how brilliant to know that day by day and on throughout our lives, there is a God who befriends humans. Well, just a little footnote, let me add another thought. He's the God who befriends humans because he is the God who became human. Maybe you remember that promise God made back in chapter 3. It was spoken to the snake after the man and woman ate from the tree. God said that one day, a descendant born to the woman would get revenge on the snake and on evil, crushing his head with the decisive death blow. Evil's going to be overthrown by somebody born to the woman. And Genesis 5 has this list of Eve's descendants. Might the snake crusher be Seth? His name actually means appointed Or might it be Noah at the end of the chapter, whose name means comfort? 
And his father explained, he'll comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. But no, Noah can't fully undo the curse. We'll have to follow down from him the entire length of the family trees of all the Old Testament through Abraham and Moses and David, on and on and on until we at last get to Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law and the law's curse. Becoming, as we celebrate at communion later on, mortal man to lift the death sentence that we all deserve from our shoulders if we'll trust in him. He was God become man, real flesh and blood in all essential aspects like our own, linked by his mother's umbilical cord to her, bearing her genetic history and through her, next in line, from all those who came before, down the long ages back to the original human, Adam. Now the fact that this was God's plan down all the generation tells us loud and clear how massively important the life and death of Jesus is and how massively important we are as well. Time and eternity belong to God, but in all this huge plan, he's still got a spot for you and for me, infinitesimally small though we are. God's had you on his mind for all eternity, down all the years of these genealogies. Let me just say it again in case somebody really needs to hear it and you're blanking on that. God had you in mind down all the years of those genealogies and indeed before. That's why he became a human being. And we ought to praise and glorify him for it. Amen. Well, an appropriate response is for us to humble ourselves before such a great and gracious God. And I'm going to invite you to join me in praying a prayer of confession on the screens or on the service sheets. We say together, Most merciful Father, our creator and judge, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all our heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We earnestly repent and are truly sorry for all our sins. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us and strengthen us to serve and obey you in lives wholly renewed by your Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let me remind you of one of those verses from the psalm we said together. Psalm 94, verse 14. The Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. And the proof of that was in the provision he made for them when Christ died for their sins. We praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.